Hey, you, Nina here. We've got Nicholas Natali here to talk about how he chose to move into his car in order to flip the script on his relationship with debt. He's going to talk a bit about the struggles, the challenges, as well as the successes from this decision. So he keeps it pretty upbeat. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We are obviously going to be playing with financial narratives and debt. So if that's something you want to explore, this is definitely the episode for you. Otherwise, I am curious. You ready to play? Welcome to Triggered. Can we play with that? You know that moment when your emotions ramp up in an instant, leaving you feeling helpless, frozen, or out of control? In that moment, you've been emotionally hijacked, the very definition of triggered. And I want to ask you, can we play with that? I'm Nina L. Garcia, drama therapist and empowerment coach of Houston Creative Arts Therapy. Join me as we discover ways to empower you and the people who mean the most to you to transform hard conversations into teachable moments. Triggered. Real playful. Real respectful. Real Empowered. Let's take a breath. So welcome, everybody. We have a very special guest here today. Welcome, Nicholas. Hi, I'm so excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. This is going to be this is going to be fun. I'm so stoked. Okay, so first things first, shall I call you Nicholas or shall I call you Nick? Ooh. My close friends call me Nick, so let's do it. Yeah, full, full Nick rights right there. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Got Nick. It. <laughs> so welcome to Triggered Can We Play With That, where we hope to be playing with potentially triggering things. And the first thing that we do at the top of every episode is we set the intent, right? We agree that we're going to have a human-to-human conversation. It's designed to empower you and me to turn a hard conversation potentially into a teachable moment. And so we agree and we consent to having this conversation. How's that sound? Absolutely. Full consention. I don't think that's a word, but I give it to you. It is now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So you did share a moment with us. So we're going to launch right into that. The title of your moment was when I moved into my car. That's correct. Okay. As I say that, when I moved into my car, what do you notice happening in your body, in your emotions, or in your thoughts? Yeah, I think it still has a a lingering excitement to it because I recently just finished up that phase of my life of living in a car for about three years. And it was everything from awful to so much fun to the worst to I'm exhausted to life-giving. It was you know, an all encompassing experience. Um, So when I think about it, I get a big, big chunk of emotions coming through. That's incredible. As you said, all of that, I was like, oh my gosh, the spectrum, the full (laughs) spectrum that you experienced in the story that I don't know yet. So we'll, we'll lean right into that. Will -hmm. you tell us the story in a nutshell? Absolutely. In a nutshell, I, Went to college and my senior year of college, I realized I was coming out of college with $60,000 of debt, which was way more than I had anticipated going into college, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like out of maybe, maybe it was my naivete, but I was not anticipating 
having a sweet chunk of change attached to my name like that. Mm -hmm. And along the way, you know, ideas started to brew about how can I pay this off as quickly as possible. And the idea started to get thrown around of why not move into a car? Why not live in your car for a little bit? And somebody took me up on that. My sibling's dad actually said, hey, I'll give you this 1986 Chevy Suburban if you're truly committed to living in it, like being serious about this. And I was like, you know what? That's an offer that I cannot refuse. And at first it was an idea, you know, kind of toying with the idea. But now it's real because I have this uh, Suburban. So my brother and I turned it into a makeshift camper, like not the ones you see on Instagram. I'm talking had a bed and I had a sink that was pretty much just a hole straight to the asphalt below it. Real bare bones. Really, really quite funny now that I think about it now. You had to arch your back just to sit inside on the bed. Um, and then throughout that time, I got a job with the DOD, had a government investigation launched on me, suffered from malnutrition, uh, had some run-ins with you know, authority figures. And that's, that's kind of the experience. And oh, my best friend lived with me inside of it for eight months, nine months. So it was a, uh, it's weird. It was all, it was all very weird and fun <laughs> circumstance. <laughs> that's what I'm getting the sensation in my own fighting. Like it almost felt like at the beginning, when you started telling it, like when he gave you the camper was like, I'm willing to give you this. Like there was an excitement, mm -hmm. like, oh, this could be an adventure. This could be an mm -hmm. adventure. I have to ask you, when you mentioned that the Department of Justice came after you, the government, the, yeah, was that the is DOD. exciting? That was not exciting. That was actually awful. Uh, so when I got that job, I was, you know, I was trying to pay off my debt. So I was working a lot of overtime and I was doing a lot of good things within my organization, but it was very countercultural to what was 100%. normal for an entry level uh, person, you know, civilian. Like I was hiring people, I was starting internship programs, I was building other little software programs from the ground up. And they're like, this guy is doing too much and we don't like it. So somebody did some sniffing, found out I lived in my car, said I was a beach bum trying to steal money from the government. And thus a giant audit, you know, was all on my name where they went through all of my work, all of my messages, all of my emails, like pretty much everything, you think, my time cards, anything you could think of. Like they got their hands in it and that became a very stressful time. Families like move out of the burb, you know, like just get an apartment. It's not worth it. And I'm headstrong and I'm thinking there's no way I've come this far to not. And it was only like 20 or 30,000 done with my debt. So I was like halfway there. Yeah. And that, that was a real pivotal moment. And this is okay. So you're headstrong. I heard you say, and there's this part of you that is like, it is like I'm halfway through. I'm almost there. I've gotten this far. I just I gotta like like what what <laughs> I, I I listen. I'm like, how old were you at this point in your life? I, uh, I graduated 20, moved in the burb at 21 ish. So I was maybe like 21. Yeah, probably around <laughs> 21. Okay. 21 yeah. years old. So a heightened emotional state for people who don't know out there, right? When we're talking about our early 20s, late teens, right? All the way down back to puberty, like big emotions, big feelings. Yeah. You should be individuating at this point. So you, you tend to like really put yourself into places where it's like, I feel very strongly about this, right? It's like a natural yeah. human thing. And sometimes it goes off without a hitch. And sometimes apparently the government comes after you. So, exactly. You just don't know. I, it's, it's a, what do they say? It's a crapshoot, y'all. Exactly. Um, 
Okay. So there's like so many little pieces to this that I, I want to explore and that I'm curious about. For most people, I think the government coming after them would be like the thing, the thing that would say, you know, this isn't it. And did you, I want to lean in on this, this question of, did you, were you, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Ooh, ooh, this is a great word. Uh, were you privileged enough to be able to even move into an apartment? Did you have that as a resource? You know, that's an interesting question. So every time I got paid, mm -hmm. I pretty much tied 10% and then put 80% to 85% straight into my debt. Yep. So I had, I don't know, like with my job, I could have afforded one for sure, but mm -hmm. money in the bank account, I don't think I could have immediately, like it still would have, wouldn't have been enough time in between the investigation to, to get in an apartment. I think it'd be too spread out. So it was a, it was a real bind. That absolutely was. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about a heightened state, like I went into the like, I am going to figure this out no matter what mode, you know. And I think just yep. being in, living in the car had already turned that switch on for me of like, I'm already in survival instinct mode. No, nothing's exactly turn, what I was going to say. The survival, right, was kicked on. Ding. Mm -hmm. I'm here and to I make actually, it and I'm going to do it. Okay. The Good. timing was actually super interesting as well because my she was my ex-girlfriend at the time current girlfriend now so that's good she went to go study abroad and i got a phone call from her friend saying hey you have to take her car and i was like i live in a car what do you want me to do with this car this toyota corolla how am i gonna have two cars and so so i was like all right this is the move i just like moved moved into the toyota corolla for two months all i had was a towel and i drove that as a pillow. And I drove that into work. And suddenly the rumors got less and less. Suddenly they took less interest because they couldn't see the problem of the burb anymore. You know, the burb looks like a camper, but the Corolla had this appearance of like, oh no, there's no way this guy can live in two cars, you know? And uh -huh. in actual reality, I was, I was sleeping in to Toyota Corolla for a week and I'd drive it to Walmart and then I'd run seven miles to get the burb and then I'd drive that to Walmart and then I get kicked out of Walmart, try to run him back and forth. Kicked out of yeah. Walmart? I got kicked out of Walmart. You can only stay there for so long before they put a little ticket on your on your window. <laughs> yes. This is I have I think I actually did have this in my knowledge banks. Okay. So uh question because this is also something coming up for me. Um I think about what it means to, I think one of the words that you use like, is like they were sort of had this image of there's this bum, quote unquote, like there's this character and there's a story behind the character of what it means to be a bum, right? Whatever that means. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and then I think about people, like real people who are houseless, right? Or that this is their version of a home, right? Is that this yeah. is what they have and that they still have every right to work a job, to gain money, to pay off debt. And I, I get curious about identity pieces and what can be mm. so triggering to the people at your company that they felt so unsafe that they said, we've got, you know, this is a flag right here. We've got to call this one in, you know, Bob or whatever the yeah. case is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was something, there was a narrative there that was being triggered around identity. What, what would you have even considered yourself to be houseless? Or uh, uh, right, and I say houseless, but uh, homeless is the usual word that's used, right? 
Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. My so when my best friend moved into the burb with us, we would always say that to each other. Like anytime we'd slip and say, "Yeah, we're homeless," we would always be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're not homeless. You're houseless. You know, you have a home. The burb is your home for mm-hmm. for this time being." Mm-hmm. And I think you also bring up a good point about like other people's perspective because I was very intentional about not bringing anything into work, like in regards to this extra thing that was going on in my life. Right. It's it was completely yeah. separate from what was going on. It's nobody's and business. It isn't anybody's business. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a it was a that was a really big uh, point to this whole conversation of like, why does this concern you if the mm-hmm. work that I'm doing is good? Right. And I mm-hmm. and I 100 percent agree with you. It was a it was a tricky situation I found myself in. Oh, my gosh. I. I have to say when I hear your story and the little pieces that we're going through, and I think about my own relationship with debt, right? And for the listeners out there, let's really explore this. What's your relationship to your debt? And what are you willing to sacrifice or to invest in, in order to pay that down or to change that relationship, right? I I couldn't imagine putting myself in a van, um, but there are people who would gawk at, at like and would be shocked at the amount of debt I have. I still to this day, I'm, I'm looking at 150K. Haven't paid it off. Oh, yeah, I know, right? What did you feel in your body when I said that? Big amount. Not not unaccomplishable, though. Like you can definitely oh. tackle that. Oh my gosh. Can I just say when you that's the first time anybody's ever told me that? Feel a little really? tingly. Yes, that's the yes. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. For the longest time, I just said that's a big amount of money. I'm just going to end up paying taxes on it in 30 years. Mm. Right? There's no point mm. in me looking at it. But I hear your story, and I think, is there is there some place where maybe I could have sacrificed a little bit more and paid this down a little bit more? You know, I'm sort of. I don't know if it's this gung ho spirit that you had at 21. It's like <laughs> it's here, and I'm like, is there something else I could be doing or have done? <laughs> Because it hasn't held me back from buying a house, owning a business, being successful mm. in that way. I just, I straight up said, I, mm, it's not, it's not a value to me to pay it off, which is probably going to bite me later in the game. But there's, there's, uh, I don't know, there's something here around that and the differences in this. And what, what would someone do to change their relationship with their debt, with money, in that way? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a. That's a big question too. And I'll, I'll give you an example of someone that kind of has a similar experience like that I dealt with. Cause I think everybody gets told that pretty often, like everybody has debt and nobody ever gets out of debt. That's kind of like a, that's something that I heard a lot. And the when I moved into that the verb, fear like, gripped me. I was like, yep, it's a fear driven <laughs> narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and people said to me like, why are you even doing this? You're going to have this for the rest of your life. And I had a pretty, uh, interesting experience with the people on my immediate coworkers because they were all 20, 25 years older than me and they were all mm-hmm. in debt and they saw me and they started, you know, nitpicking at me. Like, why would you do that? That's so stupid. You're really dumb for even spending your time on this. And when I became debt free, I didn't tell anybody or anything, but I guess somebody heard through grapevine, this guy that used to tear me apart, literally insult me every single day to my face that it was stupid came up to me and said, Hey, I, I believe like what you did was the right thing. And I now see that. And he was in his late forties. He was like, my wife and I, we sold our house. We're downsizing and we're starting to take our debt seriously. And I I don't know Mm -hmm. if he ever paid it off or anything, but that to me is like a living testament or living proof that 
these things are possible. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we we don't have to take on the narrative that everybody is believing until we put in the work for ourselves and something good can come of it. Oh my gosh, Nick, when you just said starting to take our debt seriously, there was a shift internally for me. And I felt this sort of fear, the fear that I have there around that embodied narrative. And a lot of our listeners are going to have that fear around that narrative. Like I'll never get out of debt. What's the point? Um, Especially uh, if they're in a boat like me, I'm a first generation college student. Uh, Mm. My parents didn't go to college, so they didn't have money saved up for me to go to college. So I wanted to get my education. I took out loans to do it. Um, So wouldn't have changed that, but I definitely still am sitting with this narrative of like, it's never going to be paid off, which is such, it's such BS. So the Mm. minute you, you know, you're describing, you said to take it seriously, to take our debt seriously, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say this and it's vulnerable. I don't know if I've been taking my debt seriously. Hmm. That's, that's a big self, self realization, self, Mm -hmm. self awareness right there. And I think, Mm It is, I will, I will be the first to admit that that is a scary thing because I think sometimes we attach a, a, an emotion of less than when we think about it, right? Like mm-hmm. I am less than because I have this debt, which is not the case. You know, I think like, like we, we both experienced like college is really expensive and you know, there's, <laughs> there's, not, there's not always, you know, not everybody has this opportunity to have their way paid through in whatever type of form Mm -hmm. and then when we get out we feel like worse than we did before you know and i think that's probably the scary part is the emotion we attach to this debt and i think that goes for money in general too i think a lot of people have money guilt money shame and that's kind of why we hold secrets around money right it's kind of why money is so taboo is because of all this weird emotion that we put toward and into the money. You know, it's not the money itself. It's us. It's the, it's the emotions behind it. Right. So (laughs) this is such a big piece, right? So I think about, there's a few different psychoeducation pieces that we've got that that we've already spoken about some of them. And one of the ones that I actually want to sort of like highlight and put a frame around is this idea of embodied narratives that there are stories that our body holds on to without us even thinking about it. Our body is holding on to it and there are feelings associated with that. So when we talk about, you know, debt and looming over and how it feels so overwhelming, right? It's become this embodied experience of fear, this mm. embodied experience that is fueled with all this emotion that says, of course, because it's fear, our body says, let's not go there. That's scary. I'll protect you from that. Right. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. if it were like a real monster, I'd be like, yes, please protect me from that. <laughs> yeah. But we're talking about something that's not actually a monster. Right. It's not uh, something that is actually threatening. It just feels that way. And so one of the things that I want to invite the listeners out there is To to notice your embodied narratives is very, very important. To notice the emotions that are attached to the narratives is important, right? If you're being triggered by something, right, which is your emotions are over the top and out. If you're being triggered by something, I guarantee you there was a narrative there before. Some emotion is there. And that's what's happening. It's, It's a story playing out. It's something we've been taught. And guess what? You can teach yourself something differently, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is lovely because that's the human experience. We can go Mm. into something scary knowing it's not dangerous and we can shift the narrative. Yeah. 
hundred percent. And and I, I will piggyback that with like feelings of supposed to, you know, like I think some oh, of us shoulds. get to a certain, yeah, the should, some of mm. us get to a certain age with money and it's like, Oh, I should know about this stuff. You know, I should, I'm of X or Y age. I should. And it's like, in fact, when would you have learned it? You know, many of us don't have money conversations mm. growing up and even more so our education system doesn't talk about money in any capacity. I mean, so it's like, truth. I'm not saying to like, I'm definitely saying take ownership of your money situation and learn, but I'm also saying the cards have been stacked against us to some degree. So it's like, so don't deep. feel guilt and shame over something that, you know, just takes a little bit of digging yourself. So beautifully said, because in therapy language, how I say is, can we redefine our financial narrative, right? Can mm. we flip the script on the financial narrative that we have right now? And then there was this other piece that you said, oh, I don't know if I'm going to remember it now, uh, that it is skill-based, right? You said that the cards were stacked against us, right? That we're not taught this. But guess what, folks? It is not magic, it turns out. And people aren't born knowing these things, it turns out, uh, which is sort of something I think I grew up with was that like thinking, uh, and this was something I didn't realize consciously until I got older, but this idea that I was less than that I was a person who deserved to be in debt because I was Spanish and because I came from a low socioeconomic status. Like Again, all of these BS embodied narratives that mean nothing, but feel like they mean things, which will then, of course, we make decisions based on those feelings. So I love where we've taken this <laughs> uh, because there's some real serious stuff in here. Um, yeah. And I know we we did some psychoeducation pieces, flipping the script on, on your embodied narratives, period. But it seems like financial narrative is really the thing here because you 100% flipped the script on what people's expectation of, of the narrative, financial narrative around debt was, right? That you should work and get your own apartment and pay for other things and then like slowly pay off your debt. And that's not what you were doing. You flipped the script on this. Yeah. And in regards to like, looking inward psychoeducation thing. I think one of the biggest triggers for me is like, I don't like feeling controlled by other things. And I think that was a big uh, factor, (laughs) big factor in my, my overdrive of getting out of debt. And also I think on the other side is like, um, you know, I have never been impressed by material things. Like I think that's not as important to me as character is. And so like the appeal to look a certain way, have a certain Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. find value in things I can possess has never been appealing to me. And I think I'm, I'm, I feel pretty lucky to have that, but I think that plays into the whole, like I'm living in a car, I'll starve myself to death and (laughs) make this happen, which also, you know, is, has some of its negative characteristics alongside that. But. I was about to say, we didn't really get into right some of the, the harder things uh, that were in this, because I know that this is one of the things that you mentioned earlier, right? Was this a piece around food and not mm. having, and now right, starving was the word you just used. Have there been longer term consequences from doing, uh, from making this choice? It's an interesting question. And, and I'm going to say yes. And I'm saying it based off of habits that I've formed more so than um, 
damage like to my body. I, I th thankfully I was pretty young. So like when I was malnourished, I, I started in the burb around like 195 ish. And then by the end of my time, I was like 170, 169, not eating hardly anything. I was having one PB and J every two days. There was a span of time where I had a hundred microwavable fish sticks over three weeks. And that's, that's all I ate. But I think it, it did form wow. in me this idea of like, I can always sacrifice my health in order to achieve some, like save some more money in my bank account in order to achieve this financial milestone. And I think that has been probably one of the more negative repercussions in the long term. Mm -hmm. And let's pause. We are going to take a minute outside of the episode. I am recording this after so that we can lean in on this moment and reflect. I'm going to quote back to you what Nick just said. I can always sacrifice my health in order to achieve some, like save some more money in my bank account in order to achieve this financial milestone. There is a rather large fear narrative here. And all of us have fear narratives. It's very normal to have a fear narrative. The narrative here is that debt is more dangerous and therefore should be more feared than sacrificing our bodily health. And that's a strong statement. I wanted to lean in and reflect on this because while we don't know what sort of resources, resilience level or coping skills that Nick may have had to really make this happen so that he could down the line live his best life, we really want to lean in on what is it that we have and the reality that if we take a gamble with money and lose, we lose money. We can likely get some money back, sometimes even more than we had before. But for some of us, if we take a gamble with health, we are not going to come out on top the way that Nick did. We may end up in hospitals we may end up in emergency rooms. We may end up in therapist's office much longer term than we planned. We might end relationships, lose families, end up houseless and living on the street. These are things that can happen when we gamble with our health. And of course, there is so much more that we could say about this, but I want us to be curious about differences in values without judgment. Everyone is going to have different values. It's what makes us so beautifully different. And we're going to prioritize those values differently. But this is definitely the moment to be curious. If you're thinking about making a big move, or if you see that you are struggling in your life, what is it time to say, hey, Maybe I need to pay attention to this value, whatever that value is. In a moment, we're going to lean into how I probably need to be paying more attention to financial values. And we won't really go into the importance of bodily values. So I want to take this moment to make sure that you are taking time to consider, for those of you who need it, is it time to lean in and take care of your mental health and wellness value.
What does that look like, you might be asking? Maybe seeing a therapist, maybe talking to someone you love and just sharing with them the things that you're struggling with. Maybe you need to take to a journal. Whatever it is, just taking time to be with what you value and really express that and live in it. Okay? Okay. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, that was a strong statement when you said that, right? That idea that that can be a narrative that then develops, right? That mm-hmm. I'm, oh, I could do it before and now I'm willing to sacrifice my my one body that I get, right? Yeah. So that I don't have to worry about this financial debt, which actually is not physical at all, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and I, that's that's something that I like continue to to go along with and something I've been trying to take on more of the mindset. Now, you know, I haven't been able to reflect on all this stuff is like, at the end of the day, as much as I'm into the finance space now and Mm -hmm. investments and things like that, like the best one we have, cliche as it gets, is in ourselves. And a large part of that is in our health. And it's in like, now I view it as, okay, every time I purchase food, the enough, right amount of food, that's investing into myself. That's investing into my health and I view myself differently now because I'm like, okay, like I'm betting on myself. This food is worth it because I'm worth it. You know, (laughs) changes things. 110%. So I love that you said this because my clients, if they're listening out there, people will know that this is how I say you should be living your life is every choice you make is an investment. It's an investment of your Mm. time of your energy, of your finances, of other resources that you have. Everything you do is an investment. So really start asking yourself, what are you investing in? And are you yeah. getting a return? Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And, you know, that's that's been something I've been, that's something that I've had to learn in the since my time out of the verb is like, this is, that's me, you know, myself and who I am is the investment. You know, I can put all my money in index funds, mm-hmm. but does that make me a kinder, more loving person to the people in my life? Mm. You know, what's mm-hmm. really important as much as getting my finances in check is, am I treating other people how I want to treat them? Am I, do I have the respect of myself? Do I love myself? Do I, am I acting the way I would hope I would in certain circumstances or environments? You know, those are all the things that I really like feel really have that long-term you know payback so to speak Mm. i love that image that long-term payback right thinking about short-term stuff versus long-term stuff Mm -hmm. (sighs) okay so a a real quick thing before we move into the Instead of doing some big, long, dramatic exploration of what we could do here, unless you're feeling something, you feeling something? (laughs) I'm game for anything. (laughs) Whatever you want to do, I'm down. (laughs) Okay. I am curious because I feel like you've done a lot of personal exploration on this, right? Uh, I know that this is a story that you've told before. You feel very comfortable with it. And I'm curious if we could imagine that we were to put you on like the wise man pedestal, right? And you were to sit there, you know, in 50 years and and look back and say, you know, this is what I would have done differently, or this is what I would offer as my words of wisdom. What would that part of you say? Wow. 
wrapped around the context of this specific story is that I got the most joy during that time from the relationships in my life. Mm. I had mm. nothing, figured like literally nothing to my mm -hmm. name. Mm -hmm. And my friends are what made me happy. You know, mm -hmm. my relationship with God is what sustained me through it. You know, mm -hmm. having faith. And and the biggest thing I think is having hope. That's so, so underrated these days. Nobody talks about <laughs> hope. And I think hope that, you know, there is a promise for tomorrow. Things do get better. This, this, this idea you have, this dream you have, isn't merely a dream. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can hold on to and that it will happen, right? That's what hope is. So if I'm sitting on my 50-year-old old man wisdom <laughs> stool, <laughs> the knowledge is to love others deeply, you know, take risks for yourself that you think will pan out because even if they don't, you know, like, as you said, this is our one body. This is our one life. Mm -hmm. um, put it all out there for people and for yourself. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are, we are nearing the end of the episode and this is that typical part where I say, you know, what are the takeaways for you? What are the takeaways for me? We set out to grapple with the hard conversation to try to turn it into some teachable moments. Did we succeed? I think we succeeded. Absolutely. hundred percent. What do you think? <laughs> I think, yes. I think some of the pieces around sacrifice, around personal choice, uh, around power and control, um, around embodied narratives, around uh, houselessness, right? Uh, and, and I think even that just comes back to choice, the choices that we get to make as human beings in this world to, to have the life that we intend to have, whatever that means to us as human beings. Yeah, I think we mm -hmm. went into some, some potentially hard places. I hope that the listeners have leaned into some hard spaces as well. And I think takeaway wise, I'm really struck with this sensation in my chest or in my shoulders and down into my gut of settling. There's something that feels settled mm. in particular around this idea of taking debt seriously. And, you know, for the mm. listeners that it could be anything, just taking blank seriously, whatever it is that you're not taking seriously, all my audience out there, what <laughs> is it that you need to start taking seriously? Because you know it's going to benefit your life to not lean into the fear narrative, but to come from that place of abundance, that there is enough. We just have to be able and willing to look at it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think something that comes to my mind as you say those things is like, there is only so much in our life that we can control, but it's important to absolutely 100% control the things that we can, right? Like, yeah. like you said, take, taking fun. seriously. Yeah, mm -hmm. literally that, that, that is, that is ensuring that we are defining the life we want to live rather than life defining it for us. Yep. Yep. And immediately the head is like, invest in yourself, right? Like <laughs> that's what it comes back to. <laughs> yeah. exactly. uh, 
Nick, thank you so much for your time, for your energy. Where can people reach you if they want to reach out? Tell us a little bit about what you have going on. Well, first, thank you for having me. You, you're an excellent host. And I think these conversations oh, are the, <laughs> these are the really important conversations. You know, these are the ones to, yeah. to have. And I hope anybody listening is like willing to have these conversations also with the close ones in their lives. Right. That's, mm. that's where the deepness mm. and the depth comes from. Uh, where can you reach me? My name is Nicholas Natale. So anything Nicholas Natale on all social medias, you can find me there. I got a podcast, the Nicholas Natale show, and I am releasing a how to get out of debt course pretty soon. Uh, probably within the end <laughs> of the month because I've learned so much about how to get out of debt. It's ridiculous. All things money management. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, solve that issue of, we didn't have it growing up, but I'll give you everything you need, you know? So that's what's going on. So thank you so much for sharing. I'll be checking out your course, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be putting all of that info in the show notes. So thank you again. And that is what we planned for today, folks. So thanks for taking a minute to explore your triggers as a human. And if this has been helpful and you'd like to support Triggered Can We Play With That, please feel free to leave a rating or review on iTunes, as that's what actually helps other people find us when you do. Otherwise, stay curious. <laughs> <laughs>